Welcome to episode 21 of the Ask Achieve show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Peck, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing leg extension and lat pull-down machines, tall people and kettlebell training, and how to write beginner programs. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, Achievers? Episode happy 21. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day, or to you non-celebrators, happy non-Valentine's Day. That doesn't make sense. I feel like Valentine's Day is super polarizing. It's either you either enjoy it or really, really dislike it. Yeah, it's more like, I feel like like we don't really care that much about it. Yeah. We don't do any like gifts or anything, but because we think it's kind of a silly holiday. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're like fine with it, whatever... Like, I don't know a lot of people that are like, I love Valentine's Day. There are a lot of people that are like, I hate Valentine's Day. Yeah, there's a so, lot more people that don't like it, yeah. I think. But nonetheless, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, and hopefully you're doing something nice and maybe eating a piece of chocolate or something. You know, <laughs> whether you have a significant other or not. Yeah. Um, cool. So we got some great questions for today. All right. And let me get started. So the first one is actually going to be a combination of two questions because they're both about... Um, different exercise machines. So uh, the first one is, please talk about the effects of the leg extension machine on the patellar tendon. Personally, don't do them because I've been explicitly told by PTs and PTAs that they can wear down the knees due to the lever arm on these machines being positioned suboptimally. Please and thanks in advance. And that's from Jose Chavez. All right. So the leg extension machine, that's where you sit down and you hook your legs underneath like that pad around your um, around your ankles. And basically from there, you start from a bent-like position and then you straighten out your legs and you effectively work the quads. And now the issue here is that it does place a lot of pressure on your patellar tendon as well as your knees uh, because it's just, it's just not a very advantageous position to actually work your quads. Um, however, I will say that people do use them in rehab settings. Um, I believe with ACL rehabs and very certain um, knee surgery rehab protocols, people actually do prescribe patellar tendon um, loading um, just to actually stress that area a little bit more to jumpstart the recovery process and repair process. However, for most people, what we'd recommend is that we'd rather use our time to do things like maybe like a narrow stance squat or maybe a rear foot elevated split squat. These are more, much more functional ways you can actively train your quads. Um, that's what I'm assuming he's trying to do here, trying to get more quad hypertrophy of some sort. Um, but we think there are a lot more effective ways to train the quads. Um, it's not necessarily to say that the leg extension is useless. There are a lot of rehab protocols that um, encourage them, but we don't really find it all that necessary. Plus, we wouldn't want to spend them like... $2,000 on a machine that where you can do only one thing that happens to be very non-functional. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even if you have unlimited access to that machine, like if you're a member of a gym somewhere that has a machine, there's still so many other things that you can do that would be more effective. So mm -hmm. it just, I guess, ask yourself, like, what are you trying to accomplish? If you're going to a machine, what is it that you're trying to accomplish with that machine? And can you do it in a more functional manner that mimics more of like things that you do on a regular basis, like squatting or lunging? Yeah. Um, because those things are not only going to build strength in the areas that you're looking to build, but they're also going to apply to just your general lifestyle. Um, and we want exercise to be a combination of, you know, trying to accomplish whatever aesthetic goals you have, but also at the same time trying to remember that exercise should be about 
also health, longevity, um, keeping your body safe and in good positions and preparing you for other things that you want to do outside of the gym. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you'll see a lot on Instagram of people like really trying to go really high repetition with their leg extensions and really, I guess, quote unquote, maxing out with it. But uh, you can get plenty of development. You don't need a leg extension machine to get all the quad development you want. Stick with the basics, stick with squats, maybe even rearrange tempo. So you go slow lowers or slow on the way up or iso holds, um, heavy split squats and lunges and rear foot elevated split squats and step ups. All these variations are going to do a whole lot more for you functionally um, as well as hypertrophy wise um, than just doing a leg extension. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And so the next question was also about a machine. So that's why I kind of wanted to put them together. So this one was from Becky Boo 969. Um, she asked, <laughs> how long should I pull down on the lat pull? I pull to my chest, but now I'm told just to pull to my chin is sufficient. So I think she's referring to the lat pull down machine yeah. um, where you sit down and there's typically a wide bar attached to it. And from there, you grip the bar in sort of a wide fashion, and you pull the bar down in order to target more of your lats, um, which are those, those muscles on the sides of your back. And basically, she's asking, should I pull to my chin? Is that sufficient? Or should I pull all the way down to my chest? And we think for everyone that they should be pulling down towards their chest if their mobility allows for it. Um, you can say, I think bodybuilders might say that you can just pull down to the chin and because other muscles will start, will start to take over once you go down lower than your chin. But um, again, we think functionally it would serve you better to do things like pull-ups and other full range of motion activities than just cutting the range of motion just to really hyper-target the lats. Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, and again, like it goes back to what's your goal. Like if you're trying to specifically target the lats because you're a bodybuilder and you're going to go perform on stage and you need that muscle to pop out, then maybe that's yeah. an appropriate way to do it. But for most folks, like you're just going to the gym because you want to get some overall strength. You want to feel good overall. You want your whole body to look balanced um, and you want to be able to move properly. And so for in this case, like it's you do want more muscles to kick in, right? Because that's actually going to end up, like if you pull all the way down to your chest and more muscles kick in, it becomes more of a compound exercise, which means that you're burning more calories actually with that movement than as opposed to just targeting one specific muscle at a time. Um, so the more that you can actually recruit multiple muscles within an exercise, the better, which is why we would even prefer um, some sort of assisted pull-up or regular pull-up once you're there, even to the lat pull-down um, eventually, once you, once you feel comfortable enough there. Yeah. Um, because you're, again, then you're going to be, instead of in a seated position, you're going to be recruiting your core and you're actually going to squeeze your glutes and you have so many more things participating. Um, so yeah, we definitely recommend that full range of motion, get as, as many muscles involved as you can. Yeah, so basically keep your chest up, pull the bar all the way down towards you without shrugging, um, and get it towards your chest for most people. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and then eventually see if you can, once you build up some strength there, try to see if you can move, uh, progress that to an assisted pull-up. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, actually, she had a second part of that question that we might as well just answer too. Yeah. She also asked... Um, which I can I can attest to because I fit in this category. What do you recommend for tiny female hands trying to keep the grip on a slippery Olympic barbell <laughs> when doing heavy deadlifts? Do wraps really work? Um, and I definitely have tiny little hands, um, so I can and I've been able to hold my own in the deadlift. So um, I can talk about this. So 
definitely what we usually recommend is even if you have small hands to still focus a lot on your grip strength um, and to not in just the deadlift motion, but also to do things like uh, weighted carries where you're either carrying a set of heavy dumbbells or kettlebells um, and really practicing getting your forearms stronger. Because as long as you can physically wrap your hand around the bar, you're going to be able to perform a deadlift without any assistance like grips or anything like that. Um, It's just going to be a little bit harder for you. So you are going to have to work on your grip a little bit more. Um, before going to straps, so what happens to me at about like 165 is the bar starts to slip out of my hands. I just feel it rolling into my fingers and as much grip work as I do, that seems to be my, my ending point. Um, so I go to a mixed grip and that is when you have one hand overhand, like you normally would, and you actually flip one hand underhand. And this creates this mixed grip where it just, the bar ends up being a little bit more stable. You're able to just get a better grip for whatever reason. Why is that? You know? uh, I think just mechanically you have a better leverage if your hand is underneath it. Yeah, so. but you can't go both hands underneath because that just won't, won't work out. It just gets weird. <laughs> um, so one hand over, one hand under. The challenge here is that now that's going to give you a little bit of a rotational element. You're going to have to resist your body wanting to rotate when you flip your hands. So you have to really square up your shoulders after you mix your grip and make sure that you maintain that squared off position. Oh. Um, also something to keep in mind is every set you want to alternate which hand is flipped under you don't want to get to the point where you're always flipping your right hand under um and because that can actually cause some asymmetries down the road so if you have your first set of five reps let's say you have your right hand under for all five reps then when you go to the next set flip it so that your left hand is under for the next five reps yeah i mean we the only time we'd actually recommend using straps is for very like highly specialized reasons whether or not you're a power lifter um, a seasoned Olympic weightlifter, or someone who's had a lot of time with barbells and their grip is their true limiting factor mm-hmm. in order to attain higher volumes of lifting. But for other people, there is a reason um, why your grip is giving out. And if you try to override that by using uh, equipment like straps, you're basically trying to override your brain's natural defensive like protective mechanism of telling you not to lift that. <laughs> you can't even grip that. Um, so you, you should try to go for more natural means of attaining better grip strength and just having more time with the barbell, like just lifting in general, have, um, greater carryover in terms of grip strength. And a big thing for us is actually kettlebell training. Yeah. Um, things like swings and one arm swings where you're gripping the bar, uh, gripping the kettlebell during a ballistic movement. Um, I remember, remember when I was just doing barbell training, my grip would give out pretty often. Um, but after implementing kettlebells for a while, now it's like, I mean, I could probably mix grip for my complete one RM. Right? Yeah. So, same. yeah. Yeah. One other, uh, situation we've used straps in is, uh, some people who have really bad arthritis actually, um, yeah. who can't close their hand all the way. So if you have an actual like physical restriction in that way, that could be another reason to use them. So again, very specific reasons, but there's always like, you know, every tool is appropriate in, in specific situations, but I would say just, just having small hands, try that mixed grip and see if that helps. And also just add some more grip work into your routine. It's going to be harder. We just have to, you know, work that much harder to keep up with everyone for our tiny little hands. Yeah. That's a good point though. It's like, we're not, we're definitely not in the no pain, no gain camp. So like if there's an actual thing that's limiting you, then you, you should use it. Like yeah. we're not definitely not demonizing straps. There's a time and a place for them, but we do think that people jump to it early because of their limited grip, grip strength uh, and use it as a band aid as opposed to actually developing their strength. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. Cool. Alrighty. So that was the first two questions. Next, we're gonna go into some kettlebells. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So this one comes from Akenaya28, and they asked how very specifically how would you address a six foot five inch client who wants to begin kettlebell training, particularly the beginning stages of the kettlebell swing. All right. So most likely they're talking about um, someone obviously very tall. <laughs> And they're not in a position where they can get down low. Um, they might not even be able to grip the kettlebell because they're so tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing that we do in all these cases is just to bring the kettlebell up towards them. There's no reason to um, go down all the way to the floor. But you can bring the kettlebell up onto a low plyo box. Or you can stack like a bunch of plates together. Or maybe put the kettlebell on some um, those like classic aerobic steps. Um, but just bring the kettlebell up to them and then just utilize the same progression. So teaching them how to hinge at the hips, teaching them to kettlebell deadlift, teaching them to hike the bell back between their legs and then eventually getting them to swinging. Um, but there's no reason why you should really force the issue of going all the way down to the floor if they're at this extreme height of 6'5". Like that's an extreme consideration <laughs> um, that should be um, dealt with appropriately. Yeah. I mean, we had I, one of my favorite things. We had um, Sarah, or one of our coaches, Sarah, had brought in a guest speaker um, for one of our team meetings, and uh, something that she mentioned was that at some point in history, some person decided to make a forty-five pound plate a certain height, like a certain <laughs> radius, and then that's where we think we should deadlift from, yeah. right? And now it's like that's the standard. But who decided that that was how high it was supposed to be off the floor? Yeah. And so we have to keep in mind that we are all different heights we have different lever lengths and bringing the kettlebell up higher or bringing a barbell up higher is not a it's not a regression it's just meeting the person where they're at and sometimes it's just it's always going to be where they're going to be at yeah um, because of their height or because of their limb lengths everything like yeah that. it's amazing like especially on the, on the internet it's like oh you have to squat um as like deeper than parallel or yeah. ask to grass and it's just like Again, yeah, you have to meet yourself where you're at. You have to, um, you, you can strive to go below parallel, but to meet these extremes just because of these arbitrary standards is, uh, is we think is detrimental. Yeah. Um, like even like, uh, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but there, there are some NBA players that get ridiculed uh, for lifting only a certain amount of weight or lifting from using a trap bar instead of a straight bar. And it's like, these people are so tall that you have to accommodate like, like just comparing them to some of our, you know, just our average height folks, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So hopefully that helps with, with where to start with somebody who's tall with kettlebell swings. Um, yeah, just elevate the, the bell. And then once they get going with the swing, it's really just the hike, the beginning and the end that you have to worry about. So have something that's safe for them to take off from and to put back down onto. Yeah. Um, but make sure that they're always still starting in a good hinged position as opposed to like picking it up and then starting to swing from a standing position because we do see that sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Um, so still start in a hinged position with the bell out in front of you. Hike it, give them, get it to the point where they can do that with a flat back, hike it back between their legs, and then start their set of swings. Yeah. The other thing that we see with um, taller individuals, especially when squatting, is that their legs and their limbs are just so long that they end up really dumping forward at their chest. Um, so one thing to get them a little bit more upright is that you might need to give them a slight heel lift. So maybe having them squat with their heels elevated on some five pound plates, that can get them a little bit more upright. Cause at a certain point, if you just try to force them into this pattern, they're going to be really rounding forward. They're going to be really, um, stressing their back outs because their levers are so, so long. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Cool. So hopefully that helps all you tall people out there. Yeah. <laughs> or anybody who trains tall people. Um, okay, last question. This comes from... Uh, we've had this is our second time answering a question from her, and the first time I botched her Instagram handle name. It's actually <laughs> Three Boys Mom. Last time I said Three by Z Mom, but then I got it afterwards. I was like, Oh, Mom of Three Boys, got it. Okay, so she asked, How do you write programs for beginners? Do you start them out doing light or no weight for 15 reps and two sets per exercise? in a superset or circuit fashion for the first couple weeks to get their joints and ligaments prepared? Or do you go right into varying the rep ranges for each exercise? Um, This is a great question, actually. Um, I would say that there are two ways you can go about this. You can go about it with a more of a linear approach. So maybe you start them off with three sets of eight, and you do that across the board for your exercises. And then the next phase, maybe after a month, um, go into three sets of 10. And then the next phase after that, go into three sets of 12. And the next phase after that, go into three sets of 15. So that's a very linear progression. Um, and the repetitions um, spur progress and adaptation. Um, the other way to go about it, doing it is a nonlinear approach, which is what we use. Um, so the disadvantage of having a linear approach is that when you're in that three sets of eight range, you're really spurring hypertrophy and strength gains. When you're in the three sets of 15, you end up so let me let me let me backtrack a little bit so you're at that three sets of eight range and then four months later you're targeting three sets of 15 but you don't hit that three by eight um routine for four months right so you're skipping out on that time so people argue that you're losing those strength gains that you've worked so hard for once you start to approach that three by 15 territory um so you're kind of like losing it a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, when you do non-linear so let's say month one you do three by ten month two you do three by fifteen month three you go back down to three by eight month four you go to three by twelve let's say that way you're still gaining um you're still getting your getting exposure to these different repetition ranges but you're not losing the gains that you made in the previous rep range because you're varying them like that um, so we, yeah, we think there's two ways to go about doing it, linear or non-linear. But for a total beginner, it doesn't really matter if you start to lose out on those initial gains because anything that you do is going to spur some sort of adaptation of some kind. Um, I think that only really applies to someone who's been lifting for a little bit. Yeah, that's right? exactly what I was going to say. Like early on, the the adaptations we're looking for are like learning how it's a lot of learning like it really is mostly about learning how to position your body learning like teaching your body how to be like teaching yourself how to position your rib cage and your pelvis and how to squat with good form and all this stuff so like get more repetitions i feel like in the beginning is always better just because it gives you more opportunity to learn whereas we really don't want to start with something like five by five or anything where there's lower rep ranges with the beginner because sure it might be if they're looking for strength and they they come in and say i'm I want to build strength, you might think, okay, I should stick with the lower rep ranges though, because that's considered the quote unquote strength rep range. Um, But if they're a beginner, they're going to build strength from wherever they're at, even with eight, 10, 12, 15 reps. And they're going to actually have an opportunity to learn those exercises and really master them before going into some heavier weights in that five, six rep range. Yeah, definitely consistency and just overall volume is going to be a much better way for someone to learn and practice and rehearse these movements. That's going to be so much more important than trying to target um, strength or hypertrophy or endurance specifically. Yeah. Um, you might run into some people in powerlifting camps. Let's say um, uh, 
uh, so, who am I thinking about right now? Um, oh, Mark Ripito or um, books like uh, the, the Strongest Shall Survive and Bill Starr's Five by Five. All these people really promote, even if you're a beginner, to start doing five by five or three by five um, and really progressively overload the weights. Um, but we think that there's a stark contrast between someone who's a beginner at fitness in general and someone who's a beginner at barbell work. Mm. And we, we, we really need to bridge that gap because as soon as you try to get someone who's completely new to the gym, to strength training at all, and you try to get them to go five by five back squatting, bench pressing, deadlifting, you start to really set them up for injuries and set them up for plateauing in general. So before we even introduce anything like that, we really dial things back and go more from a movement, mobility, kettlebell training, bodyweight training to get them prepared to actually then lift um, and meet the demands of a barbell. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that answers it. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, oh, and she said, do you start them out doing light or no weight for. So, yeah, I guess we kind of answered that. But mm. yes, it's definitely start out with light, light weights. Um, we do, it, it varies depending on the exercise. So for something like a squat, it is based on our assessment of that person's squat when we first see them. So if we see somebody and they have a really hard time, um, preventing their knees from caving inward and they tend to let their knees shoot forward way over their toes and they're just kind of awkward in the squat, what we'll probably do is put a box behind them and a plate in their hands, like a weight plate, and have them squat to the box while pushing a plate out in front of them as a counterbalance. So it's not necessarily a weighted exercise. The weight is actually there to assist them in, into getting it into a better position. Um, and we teach them the, the mechanics of the squat that way. Whereas if somebody comes in, they just nail a squat. They've clearly done them before. They have great mobility, great strength. We're going to get them right into a goblet squat where they're holding a dumbbell close to their chest and we can start loading that up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's very case dependent on if you do something body weight, um, or, or with weight. And it really just, it, it makes you realize how important that assessment process is because otherwise you won't really know where to start somebody. Um, so make sure that you're assessing some of the movements that you're going to be giving them. Um, we also always err on the side of just looking at the, the movement body weight before we decide to use weight. Yeah. So for say your assessment doesn't include a split squat, but you want to program that in just on the first round, say, okay, I want you to do a set of 10 split squats. I'm just going to have you do them body weight first. I'm going to take some notes, kind of look at your form. And then from there, we'll assess if we want to go up in weight or if we want to stick with body weight. Um, we try to make them feel like it's not uh, right or wrong, whether they're going to stay with body weight or go up in weight. Um, it's not like good or bad. Yep. It's just, we're just going to assess, look at it, see if there's any changes we want to make. And then we can decide if we want to add weight or not. Yeah. And for us, I think sort of a visual gauge that we're looking for is, rate of perceived exertion, mm -hmm. so RPE, and we're always trying to get that within a six to seven or so range for a beginner. We want them definitely challenged, but we also don't want them stressed out so much that the weight starts to take over what their form um, allows for. Um, but we also don't want it so easy that they don't make any sort of adaptations. So six to seven, maybe even eight um, will be appropriate um, as long as you're uh, Coach's eye is pretty hot, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that wraps it up for Valentine's Day special, special edition. Special heart episode. <laughs> Even though we did nothing about, oh, we should have done like a heart healthy episode. Ah, uh, missed, missed opportunity. opportunity. <laughs> 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 well, 
that just shows that we belong together. Jason, yeah, so. there we Happy go. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so if you guys could, oh, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would seriously help us out. I think you can actually write a review on um, your podcast app now on your iPhone. So that's um, much better because I think before you could only do it on your laptop, which was a little bit cumbersome. But if you could do that on your phones, that would be awesome. Um, also, if you could send us any more questions that you have, you can send it to podcast at AchieveFitnessBoston.com or you can DM us, DM us on Instagram at AchieveFitnessBoston. So, yeah. Until next time. Peace. Love. And, and muscles. muscles.